This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Um, probably half of our volunteers this morning are sick. Um, it's just that season. It's that time. People get sick. We get that. People get sick. It's also that time of year where some people make goals and resolutions. Right? Some, some of you do, right? So I'm, I'm, it's, we're going to turn the year, and I'm the type of person, I want to set some goals. I want to I resolve to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Awesome. Awesome. Number one goal set last year for 2021. Anyone want to guess what it was? 50% of people made this resolution, this goal. What do you think it was? What? Exercise, that's exactly right. We're going to exercise, want to eat better, uh, yep, diet, I want to lose weight. Uh, 50% of people said that they wanted that. 44% of people said they wanted to save more money in the coming year. 21% of people resolved that they wanted to chase after a career change or do something that had to do with uh, their job. How about you? Did you make any uh, changes last year or resolve any changes for last year? I didn't. Because if I don't make them, then I don't have to not do them, right? There's nothing wrong with assessing, though, and saying, hey, I, I see this in me, and I want to do this. And only those resolutions and those goals have to do with things that are deep parts of our core. They reflect a, a deep part of our being. Ergo, it has to do with health. It has to do with finances. No one uh, comes to New Year's and says, you know what? I, my goal is I want to vacuum the floor more. No one says, I have a goal, and it's to fold more laundry this year. I want to be better at folding laundry. Those aren't the kind of, of resolutions we make. I'm going to check the mail more regularly. Those aren't the types of resolutions. No, it's like, I want to lose weight. I want to be healthier. I want to go to the gym. I want to save money. I want to move into a different career. Things that reflect us at a deep core level. I would be nervous if someone were to say to me, you know what, I'm good. I don't have to change anything. That would make me nervous as a Christ follower. I think we should be in the habit of regularly. That's what repentance is, actually. Turning more and more to follow after Jesus Christ. Regularly asking ourselves, what is, God, what are you asking me to do? And then laying a plan. Oh, all right, what am I going to do about it? That's the life of repentance. That's what we're called to participate in. And maybe you have approached the new year. I want to read the Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to serve more. I want to participate in more faith-based things. I think that's awesome. But what if we were to ask Jesus genuinely? What if we could ask the early church leaders and elders back in the New Testament, what do you think a good goal or resolution would be for a follower of Jesus or for a church? Like our church, what would be a good goal for our church? I think they would say this. I think they would say, you guys need to drink more water. You need to drink more water. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Your body needs to drink water, right? In fact, doctors would say, if you commit to drinking more water and not other beverages, there's a whole host of benefits that would come across. I think you'll find, spiritually speaking, if you know what it means to drink more water, you will experience a whole host of benefits. The whole church body would get healthier. When I say drink more water, I mean this. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, I want to draw your attention to this chapter this morning. 
as we intro a new series that we'll, we'll dive deep into next week. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's only 16 verses long. Ryan will have the verses up here on the screen for you if you want to follow along. Uh, for those of you watching online, you can, you can follow along that way. You have a Bible, open that up. I'm a huge fan. There's Bibles on the seats uh, around you if you wanted to get a Bible or on your phone. This is what it says, the very beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, latter times, okay, time out. If you don't know when that is, that's now. That's a now. Okay. People ask me, are we in the end, are we in the end times? We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. This is the end times. This is the, this is, that's where we're at. This is, this is the latter part. Okay? The apostles firmly believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. His return was imminent. We're in that time. The apostle Paul was writing about this time here and now. He says, in this time that we're in, some will depart from the faith. It's that phrase I want you to see. The faith. Normally, when we talk about faith, we're referring to a believing allegiance in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus, and because I have committed my life to Jesus, I live a certain way. I have faith in Jesus. That's, that's true. That's accurate. But there's also examples in Scripture where it talks about the faith, as in that body of beliefs, ideas, principles that your believing rests on. Let me illustrate that. One of my sons came out to me this last week. It was, it was late at night. He says, Dad, I can't sleep. Dad, I can't sleep. And you could see the weariness on his face. And you maybe know what that's like. You've lied in bed and the wheels have just been turning for hour upon hour upon hour. It's 11 o'clock. It's 12 o'clock. It's 1 o'clock. He comes out to me and he says, Dad, I can't sleep. That action of his was founded upon certain ideas. Number one, he knew he couldn't take care of it himself. He believed that God, his dad is loving. He believed that dad could do something about it. He believed he needed something. His action was founded upon certain key core tenets. Your faith in Jesus rests upon certain core key tenets. Sometimes it's referred to as the teaching in Scripture. Sometimes it's called good doctrine. Sometimes uh, it's called the tradition. Sometimes in this passage it's called the faith. Those things that our belief rests on. Jesus said himself to his disciples, hey, go into all the world, make disciples, make followers of me. By immersing them in a kingdom way of life, baptize them. How are you going to do that? You're going to teach them everything I taught to you. You teach them the faith as I pass it on to you. Jesus said, hey, there are things that I have taught you. A body of beliefs. I have given them to you. You now go and you give them to others. Who will in turn give them to others and give them to others. This is why from, you see it from Jesus giving it to the disciples in the very beginning of the church movement in Acts chapter two, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Just so you can understand a little bit of the weight of what I'm trying to say this morning, I wanna read through some verses for you. Just, and I want you to key on, see if you can recognize the phrase, the teaching See if you can recognize the phrase uh, sound doctrine, tradition, passed on. 
okay? And the weight of what's going on here. I'm just going to read through a bunch of verses that are scattered throughout your New Testament. Just listen. It's from Romans. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. To 1 Corinthians, another church, Paul said this, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Another place in that letter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Writing to a church in, in Thessaloniki, he says this, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught. Keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. To an apprentice, Timothy, uh, Paul said this, So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of honor so that the name and the teaching may not be reviled. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up. In another letter, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. A teacher must hold to the trustworthy words as taught that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. In another place, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Show that they may be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching attractive. The apostle Peter said this, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And then one more. This is from a letter by John. Anyone run, who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. From the Gospels to the historical books to the epistles to the general epistles, all throughout the New Testament, the apostles, the disciples, Jesus himself is calling us to hold on to what they call the teaching, the traditions, the sound doctrine. And there's a lot of warnings that are attached to what happens when you don't do that. Jesus passed on the water, says you pass it on, you pass it on, you pass it on. These core beliefs are what we call creed. We're going to look at that creed over the next couple months together. Pillars that our allegiance to Jesus rests on. So let's continue in this chapter together because the Spirit's warning that we live in a time when some are going to leave this creed or they're going to try to tamper with this creed. How? Let's keep going in this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. How are they going to leave the faith, the, the teaching? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Everything that God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's, reject, if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. He gives a warning. 
Because, yeah, there is this, this thing that we call the faith, but you're living in a time where there are spiritual forces that want to corrupt it. There's human forces that want to corrupt it or, or take from it or add to it. So imagine, if you will, we, we have this, and, 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 and there's actually people, what is this? Yeah. There are forces that are actively working to, I'm not going to actually do it, add to and pour into and take out of what has been passed on to us. Imagine if I had poured the bleach in here and I were to drink it. Would I be consuming the water? Yes. But along with it, some things that will do some serious damage to me. Imagine if that was passed on within a greater church body, within a whole greater tradition. We could say that bad things would happen. No wonder there's so many warnings attached to this idea. So let me offer us four ideas this morning on how we can drink more water. And if you have a set of notes, uh, you can write some things down. There's a, a cup that's right in the middle of your notes as you open that up this morning. Maybe on that cup you could just write down the, the faith. The faith. That's what we're going to talk about, the faith. And then four lines where we can fill in some ideas. And if you're online, uh, maybe you can write some of these suggestions down too. How can we drink more water? In verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, continuing in this chapter. If you put these things, the faith, before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Stuff outside the glass. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. How can I drink more water? Uh, write this down on one of the lines. Train in it. Train in it. Train in the faith. You maybe heard that as I was reading through that passage. He says, being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine. Rather, train yourself for godliness. To this we toil and we strive. So it's a combination of a couple ideas. Let's just take them apart real quick. Uh, to be trained in means to be nourished by it. Let it nourish you. Yesterday, I ate a lot of food. Some of it was nourishing to my body. It all tasted good. You understand the difference? It all was yummy, yummy food. Some of it was nourishing for my well-being. Oh, my goodness. So one of the people in the church uh, sent my family home on Christmas Eve, which was a, a beautiful night. Um, Buckeyes the size of softballs. Oh, my goodness, this is phenomenal. It was so good. I opened the container and I gave thanks to God that his grace had come down to me in such bountiful form. Like it was the size of a softball. And we all know that chocolate and peanut butter just go together, right? Yes, yes. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it's interesting the things you guys get excited about. 
That was, that was, that was yummy. It's just our tradition as a family. We do lunch. We'll do like some finger foods on Christmas Day. So uh, there's like shrimp and cocktail sauce and veggie pizza, which, it, yeah, it's good. Not nourishing, but yummy. Uh, crackers and summer sauce, just finger foods. It's so good. And then we get to dinner, and on Christmas dinner, my wife will make this stuffing that has sausage and cranberries and apples, and it's so yummy. Not necessarily nourishing. Do we understand the difference? Something can taste good, but not necessarily be good for you. And he says, make sure that you're training yourself in the faith, because it's nourishing for you. It's nourishing for your well-being spiritually. He goes on to say, he says, train yourself. That's where we get the word gymnasium. Hey, in the ancient culture, gymnasium was for guys. All guys would go, not girls, guys would go. They train, uh, they are completely naked. They would run, they would wrestle, they would push weights around, okay? That's the idea. We've grown since then, okay? <laughs> the naked part. But how could we apply that if we're talking about the faith and training myself? Should I not come completely vulnerable and naked before the faith? These things that God has taught me, should I not, shouldn't I let it push me a bit and, and, and create resistance? Doesn't it call for endurance? Doesn't it call for consistency? There are things that are going to be heavy and hard for me to move around, but I need to be devoted and committed to these things. And what's the result if someone regularly trains at a gym? What are the benefits? It grows them. It shapes them. What are the benefits if someone is trained in the faith? It shapes them. It forms them. It makes them able to do things within the faith. There's nourishment, and there's lifting, and there's wrestling. Next month, we're going to, uh, just as an example, we're going to wrestle with the idea of what we call communion of saints, the church. It's one of those tenets, key parts of our faith that we believe in. The church universal and the church local. What are the implications of that? That should shape me, and I need to wrestle with that. I need to run with that if I'm going to be trained in it. Here's another idea to write down on your notes. Be trained in it and teach it. Teach it on one of those lines. Write down the word, the phrase, teach it. To teach the faith. It means to become a bridge. It says this in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. To teach is to become a bridge, connecting the faith to someone who is growing in the faith. To bridge the gap. To follow the progression of ideas. Jesus, the source of which became the bridge, passing on these ideas to his disciples, those who would call his apostles. They were called to be the bridge these ideas and pass them on to someone else through teaching. Hey, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. While at the same time, living a life that conforms to that belief. Because you can't just pass something on and then not model it yourself. That's why he goes on and he says in that passage, let no one despise you for your youth. Set the believers an example. Oh, my sons take uh, music lessons. 
Uh, Jackson takes violin lessons. Lucas uh, takes piano. And what their teacher will do is they are passing on a, a body of belief, ideas. This is how you play. This is what you play. This is how you do things. While at the same time, the teacher models those things for them. That's why like lessons, music lessons via Zoom is so difficult. Right? Because the music teacher can't say, all right, hold your hands this way, or the hands go this way, or do this. Because she's not there. She's not there. Teaching means this is what we believe and see me living according to it. To set an example. Let me give you an explicit example uh, from our own, our own fellowship. We, we have one in our church family who's very, very sick. Uh, she's very, very small not even a year old. And Christmas Eve, she went into the ICU, oxygen levels dropping, uh, potential sepsis, infection, all things going wrong in this little life. So mom, seeing, took her down to children's and the word went out, be praying, be praying, be praying, be praying. While mom had baby girl at, at children's, couple from her life group went over to her house and cleaned her house and wrapped her Christmas presents for her. Why? Because we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in fellowship. We believe in family. And a life that rests on that conviction acts a certain way. And in doing that, that couple taught something to their kids. We don't just say that the fellowship is important. We live in such a way that you see the fellowship is important. What they received, they passed on. Train in it, be taught in it, teach it. Here's another something else to write down. Commit to it. Commit to it. You gotta commit to a resolution, right? You need to commit to a goal. Drinking more water is it. Commit to it. Write that down. Let me read to you from verse 13, 14, and 15. I think you'll see this pretty quick. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Did you hear some of these? Did you hear devote yourself to? He says, do not neglect, practice it, immerse yourself in it. To devote means to pay attention to it. It comes from the word, root word meaning to have, but it's a, to have with a little bit more. Because you can have something and not possess it, right? Not pay attention to it. How many of you have a garage, but it's not necessarily that you pay attention to, right? How many of you have a closet, but it's not necessarily something that you've been, been paying attention to? How many of you have cholesterol? And your doctor would say you need to pay attention to it. How many of you have a spouse? Have you been paying attention to them? Have a family. To be devoted means to pay attention to, to commit to it. And how do we do that? He says that means you make it public. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, public reading and public exhortation. Everyone should see your progress in this aspect of your life. How would I know that you're committed to a sports team? How would I know that? 
how you dress, right? You might wear their stuff. You might decorate your house that way. You might uh, have a license plate that gives it away. How would we know that you're committed to a given charity in the community? How would we know that? Well, you would probably talk about it, wouldn't you? You'd probably share it with others and encourage others to participate in that charity. You'd be making it public. How would we know that you are devoted to your spouse, devoted to your family? How would we know that? You would make it public, wouldn't you? We would see it. Let me ask a similar question. How might I know what you are committed to? How would I be able to know what you're committed to? I could check two things. I could check your social media and I could check your checkbook. It's what you share and it's what you subsidize. Here's a fun exercise. I want you to do this this week. Bonus if you actually do it. Get a third party, not a friend. Don't ask a friend. A third party, someone's a little bit more removed from you. Ask a complete stranger to do this, maybe just an acquaintance at work. And say, look at my social media and look at my ATM purchases from the last month and tell me what I'm devoted to. Let them go through your history on your social media. Give them your checkbook and ask them this one question. What am I devoted to? What would they say? You're committed to your cat. Would they say that you're committed to the Cleveland Browns? Would they say you are committed to food? Would they say that you're committed to yourself? Would they say you're committed to your family? Would they say you're committed to Jesus? If they looked at your social media and they looked at your expenses, what you've shared and what you've subsidized. To be committed to the faith would mean that you're public with it and you help others be public with it, that you help others grow in it, that they see you immersed in talking about it, prioritizing it over other things, that this wins and other things lose. And that would lead us to our fourth thing. You guard it. You guard the faith. Write that down. You guard the faith. Verse 16, Apostle Paul says this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you save both yourself and your hearers. Guard it. Paul warned in the beginning. He says, you are in a time when 
The purity of the water is under attack. People are going to want to add to it. People are going to want to take away from it. Spiritual forces are going to add to it. They're going to take away from it. They're going to filter it. They're going to poison it. Back in the Apostle Paul's time, there were those who were attacking things like marriage or eating certain foods and doing certain things that aren't a part of, aren't a part of the core. What we have the habit of doing is guarding the minor things and forgetting the major things. And we'll build entire churches and denominations based on unique distinctives and not creed. Here, let me, let me illustrate. Okay. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, what I've passed on to you is of first importance. And he, then he says, it's the gospel. It's of first importance is the gospel. The number one thing is the gospel. And I shared that number one thing to you. He says to another church in Rome, he says, hey, some of you like to go to church on certain days. Awesome, that's cool, you do that. Some of you like to go to church on other days. Cool, you do that. Some of you think that you can eat certain foods and some of you think you can't eat certain foods. You know what he said? Cool, you do that. Even the Apostle Paul himself in Scripture said, there is a priority of ideas. Some things are major, some things are minor. What we will do is we'll start churches based on the minors and we'll leave behind the majors. Let me illustrate. Jason, could you hold something for me? Hold that right there. Awesome. Thanks, bud. That's all you got to do. That's it. Yeah. So there is a, a core of first, impre- of first importance. Uh, it includes things like the gospel. First importance, the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the returning of Jesus Christ, our King. Okay. Also part of that is the story that the gospel fits in. There's a reason that the good news is the good news because of the story that it's a part of. What we call the truth or the traditions, the teachings, core ideas right here in the center. What we would call the life, a relationship with God. What we would call the way, the ethic of how we live based on these things. Central, core, okay? Creed, creed. Over 2,000 years, what do we see happen? Confessions rise up, and they include that, right? They include that, whether it's the Orthodox tradition or the Catholic tradition or the Ethiopian tradition or the Protestant tradition. There's, there's actually quite a few of these confessions that the creed is a part of. But even within those confessions are distinct church and individual commitments. Things that are out here. Now, someone might say that, well, that, that's central. Like, no. That's a part of your faith, and that's awesome. But there are things that for 2,000 years we have all agreed on. And it's those things that we want to talk about. 
Because if you, you need to know what to guard. This, this, this. The person of the Holy Spirit. Right there. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. Life everlasting. Yeah, we're going to talk about those things. Bible translation. It is not. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Maybe in my world, out there. You offend me. Eh. Pastors should wear neckties. Definitely out here. The day that you should go to church. What you should eat. What you shouldn't drink. Can you watch an R-rated movie? King James Bible. It's awesome. You, you, that's cool. That's great. Phenomenal. Don't have a problem with it. Until we start putting the minors in with the majors. And now we have a problem. But could you imagine what could happen in a fellowship that learned to guard these things and learned how to give ground with these things? Now, that's the fellowship I want to be part of that knows what to guard and where to give ground. There you'll experience unity. There you'll experience love. There you'll experience health. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, buddy. In this next series, Creed, we're going to talk about those central ideas. That for 2,000 years, Orthodox, Catholics, Protestants, of all confessions, have said these things matter. These things are most important. These things are Creed. For I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Three days later, he rose again. Why all the fuss? Your last fill-in at the very bottom. Why all the fuss? Pastor Paul, I'm not really big in the theology. I'm not really big in the doctrine. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Is that enough? The Apostle Paul might argue with that position. Because there are things that we are to teach. There's things that we are to train in. There's things that we are to be devoted to. There are things that we are to guard. And certainly the gospel is of first importance. Why all the fuss? The faith, write this down, is what saves us and shapes us. It is the faith that saves us and shapes us. Just to read some verses that you've heard before already. He said in verse 16, this is what will save yourself and it's here is me. This is what will preserve you and those who are under your teaching. 
Verse six, he says, be trained by the faith and good doctrine. It nourishes you, it saves you, it shapes you. So my challenge to you over the next couple months, be devoted to these moments. Be committed to these moments as we go through what is creed, what is central. As we learn what to guard and then learn to see where to give ground. And like a healthy body that drinks more water, I think our spiritual body here will grow in love and unity in the faith and in health. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.